0: We've recently renamed Everyday Design Podcast into Designing Happiness. So we're reissuing our previous favorite Everyday Design episodes under the new name, Designing Happiness. to Everyday Design, the podcast to empower and educate homeowners on how to best deliver your extension or renovation project to make sure the end result is perfect for your lifestyle, personality, and taste. Now, this week, we're going to be talking about your professional team. Um, But before I get started with that, let me first introduce myself. I'm Abigail Hall. I'm a technical design expert and consultant to the construction industry. For almost 15 years, I've been delivering very high-end and complex new build and historic renovations with some pretty hefty budgets. I've also undertaken a fair number of my own renovation projects with much smaller and restricted budgets. I've become an expert in how you can use design to enhance your well-being and happiness in your home. Now, I want to share with you my knowledge, contacts and a few of the lessons I've learned along the way. Each week, we talk to a different expert about their product or service so we can learn the technical jargon, the easy mistakes to avoid, the need to's, the nice to's and how to get the finish you want on time and in budget. And this week, I'm very excited to be joined by Joseph who is technical director of AGA Associates and executive delivery architects based in central London. Now, Joseph and I met at an event. It wasn't a build, architecture, trade event, anything like that. He was speaking about, among other things, inclusion. I'd already been thinking about an episode where we talk about the size and roles of your professional team on a refurb or extension project, and the power and the benefit which comes from having a range of individuals around the table, and what I mean by that is not every single member of your professional team looking and sounding the same. I got chatting to Joseph about this, and he shared with me that he's the technical director of an architecture practice. So who could be more perfect to join me to talk about your professional team than Joseph. Joseph, welcome to Everyday Design. Hello, Abby. Thank you for Hi. having me oh it's so lovely to speak to you but i'm gonna get straight into it because i know that you've got so much experience under your belt and i'm just i'm just really gagging to find out all about it so can you tell me about the most complicated project where there were multiple different design consultants and how on earth did you manage them i think to date um one of the most complicated projects that
1: i've happened to work on was um, a project, you might be familiar with it,
0: it's the Battersea Power Station. I know it well, an iconic building in London.
1: Yeah, so it was actually the phase 3A of that, um, the hotel aspect of it. You know, there was a lot of contractual issues and the site limitations and, you know, just a few things that needed to be ironed out in regards to planning conditions as well. So it was... It was almost as a moving beast in a way, you know, a lot of things happening at the exact same time, you know. But you know, every project is a learning curve and you in a way you begin to harness your skill set in order to handle different scenarios depending on what you've seen before and what you're willing to overcome in future.
0: And that's great to know because there are so many challenges. When you take on a build, a refurb. Um, in this case, I know that it was a new build hotel. That you never quite know what the challenges are going to be, do you, until you get into it? Yes. And, exactly. and, how, and you've you've obviously learned so much from that. And what what would you say? One what a piece of guidance that you give to our listeners about when you've got all of those those things going on. What's the what's the best way of dealing with it? Um,
1: I always like to go into scenarios as if I know nothing about it, willing to learn everything about it. And you know, taking information from various sources, you know, and obviously checking up with reviews on the competence of those sources in order to create, you know, a better validation.
0: I love that. That makes absolute sense because actually there are all these experts out there and you just ask open questions, right? It's no, yes. no harm. But then it's always good, as you said double check to make sure they've got the the experience to give the advice
1: yeah no definitely just make sure that they get an understanding of their previous portfolio what type of jobs they've done before how they overcome certain situations. are these situations similar to the ones that you're perceiving in the current project you know and how would they go about it you might have a design intent of how you might go about it but it's always an, it, nice and interesting to see how they have overcome these issues uh, previously
0: yeah, that's exactly right, because they might have a completely different approach than you or I would ever think of. But if it's tried and tested, then who are we to say that our thought process is the right way of solving something? Um, yeah, I love that. Thank you for that. Now, I really I want to talk about the, um, the consultation process. And I'm thinking about now with you in your technical director role, you're meeting someone really at a relatively early stage. What kind of questions are you going to ask your client? about their project and how do they best get across the vision of what they have for their home?
1: Um, I think a lot of the time you're dealing with clients that are very well traveled, you know, they have a good understanding of what they're trying to do. You know, they do have a vision. You know, it's all about getting the right team together to make sure that they can create a vehicle that allow this vision to take place. You know, so it's a lot that you can take from clients, you know, so I, I, I never like going in there, you know, talking too much and trying to exert what we do. They already kind of know what you do, but the best advice I'd ever give is just to listen, sit down, gauge, you know, form it and articulate it into, you know, an architectural brief. So that's the main thing, taking a client brief and then articulate it into an architectural brief to gauge what their requirements will be.
0: I love that. So from the client's perspective and, and our listeners, um, you said that these people are brilliant, they're well-traveled, they know what they like, they've got a really clear vision. So if you're working with someone who isn't listening to you right from the outset, that maybe isn't the right start of building your professional team. So I'm already I'm already sold to working with you, Joseph. I, I imagine you, I can see you, you're a wonderful listener. Um, Now, moving on, when when you're talking to a client and they are talking specifics now, Joe, so they're saying things like they want a home cinema room, a swimming pool, a recording studio, perhaps even a spa or a treatment room. Basically something that I'm immediately as a technical expert thinking this is this is specialist help. How and when do you introduce those specialists to the client?
1: Yes, I, the first thing that I would do is start to build the consultant team in and around me. I'm talking about the structural, the structural engineer, the MEP, you know, even the landscape architect and the civils. And what we'll do as a team, as the core members of the team, is we'll start to try and gauge the various scenarios. And if there's an issue that's something to do with, I don't know, a home cinema, for example, you know, I would be leaning towards my MEP, you know, um, you know, consultant just to gauge what are the right questions to be asking in order to tender for the right specialist, you know, because every single specialist wants to do your job. Every yeah. Come on board. Every single one is better than the last one, according to them. Yeah. You know? So what do you do about that? How do you gauge that? But at the same time, you, you don't want them to be, especially if they haven't been yet appointed, to be gauging with the client you know from the off because all of a sudden, you know there might be a clash of interest. They might not be coordinating. They, they might not be looking into the bigger picture that needs to be a well-coordinated scheme, then I might just be looking at their aspect in isolation. So at the same time, you want to create a vehicle for that to make sure that the architects have the control in the coordination process. You know, so that's something that we usually gauge from the offset and then we would, you know, create a consensus amongst the core team of how it would be led. And that's why you'd appoint the architect to be the lead been coordinator in these type of processes in order to take that responsibility and manage that role.
0: And I think the other thing that I completely agree with what you've just said there, Joe, and also for the client to have all of these varied and different specialists talking to them can be quite confusing. Very if you built, if you built a relationship with your lead designer, your, your lead architect, that's, that's kind of who you want to talk to at least you want to have them there with you. So at any point, if you get a bit overwhelmed by perhaps what the the questions a specialist is asking, you can always look back to your expert, your lead, and go, oh, I I don't know, should I be answering this? Is this for me to know about? Yeah. Um, So I I think you're absolutely right there. That's a really good point. But let me ask you something, let me be quite blunt. Um, Why do you need all these specialists? Why can't the architect just do everything?
1: It's mainly due to liabilities. You know, so at the same time, you have certain, you know, um, liability cover for certain things. And in order, if you were to take it all on board, that would be creating, you know, a new future problem in effect. So what you try to do is at the situation and, you know, you take on board the specialist input, but at the same time, in some of your package of information, you make it completely clear that this, in order to find out more information, it needs to be looking towards the specialist package of information that's integrated in the whole body of the operations, but, you know, caveat it explicitly that they are responsible for these items.
0: That's, no, that's absolutely, I mean, And you know what a lot of us forget about liability and also linking to that potential even warranties for work Um, exactly so and and something when we're talking about when it feels like something that's just quite aesthetic you know uh, we're thinking about finishes for example you don't really think about it but the potential for a swimming pool going wrong and that that being because the design hasn't been done correctly we it really is re- absolutely imperative that we get the people who are the best in that yes. particular niche doing that work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, a, that's a really good point and a really good reminder as well. Um, now, talking, seem to be using swimming pools as an example quite a lot, but listen, I'm going to talk about it again. I've been in a position... Um, where my architect gets me a specialist consultant, which is great, but that um, specialist consultant is they're telling me that I should change my design to fit their requirements. So for example, I really, really want an infinity pool. Um, It's because I've got the space and that's my dream, right? That's my vision, but I'm being told it's too complicated because I'll need location for a balance tank and all this kind of stuff. And I should have a more simple standard product What should I do in that situation?
1: In that situation, I would go back to the core consultant team and ask them to think a little bit harder. You know, end of the day, the client has wants and it likes a certain type of design intent. So as specialists and as, you know, professionals, we should be aiming to try and allow that to happen. And at the same time, we we need specialists, we need consultants to really open their minds you know become more you know you know become more innovative in their approach you know and look at different ways to make it happen if it hasn't been done before then you know amongst us we can find ways to make sure we can get the product of the line to make sure that we can get it as close as possible you know i've seen many times where a specialist might come up with an input and might say this is quite difficult and the next question is well Maybe it's difficult for you, but maybe another specialist can do it because we're seeing precedents of it being done. So I one love of,
0: that. Yeah.
1: What I would usually do would present them with at least three precedents and say, "We can clearly see it's been done, and we can clearly see the consultant team that dealt with this surely we can give them a phone call, and they can put us through to the specialist that can almost take up your role so, and, you know, and, so,
0: and find and find a way of doing it.
1: Find a way of doing it so mm-hmm. instead of telling yeah. us how, you know, they've got something off the shelf that they just want to install. It's not about having it just off the shelf. It's about meeting the client's expectation.
0: Yeah. Not for, I always think that, not for someone's home, you know, not for a thing that they're investing this huge amount of time and money and energy into. We should all make every effort to achieve that for them, unless there is some absolutely insurmountable practical reason um, why it's why it's not possible and, and if anything and I don't know if you agree with me here Joe if anything it ends up actually being you can find a practical way to do it but the cost of it becomes so prohibitive that that's yes. the thing that then actually makes the change rather than it being a technical reason of it is
1: managing a process collaborative ingenuity, you know vision and Part of that is making sure that we completely think differently in the way that we design in order to design creatively. And we don't just, you know, expect that from our practice, but we expect that from everybody that is associated with us. You know, so that goes down to the structural engineers, you know, to the electrician. You know, so if we see a way we expect everybody to be thinking in an innovative manner. You Know exactly, yes, finder and just using old ways or an old approach and just getting you know comfortable in how they used to do things, they need to really be pushing the boundary as much as we are.
0: Love it. Oh, Joe, you're, it's a breath of fresh air to speak to you. If only every single practice was like this, um, and our listeners who've worked with architects may be thinking the same thing. Wow, I've, I was always told. That's how you do it. We've been doing it that way for 30 years. Actually, there might be a new innovative way of doing it. And it's and it's good to have someone that you can talk to about that. Is it completely new, as in are there only 3 examples in the whole country, or is this a new technology that is becoming the new norm but not everyone knows about it yet? So, I love that. We look to the professional team to have that level of knowledge. That's um it. On the flip side, so I've given you the example where the specialist is, as you say, trying to sell me something almost that's off the shelf. Something that I think is something, which frankly I think is simple to install, like a home cinema, I'm being told is really complex and the design and the costs are kind of spiraling. How can I tell if I need all of these gizmos?
1: The first thing, or the first consultant that I would talk to would be the acoustician, you know, in regards to that. that that specialist well, that consultant would be giving me personal guidance of the requirements that would be needed to meet it. You know, and that'll be looking at certain things that and other things that will help implement that decision making for me would be certain things to do with the planning conditions, the housing quality index, you know, the London Design Guide, the technical housing standards, you know, lifetime home, BRIAM how code for sustainable homes, all of these things, all of these things will be working like clockwork while we're making the decision and be adding as layers of understanding in order to really comprehend what the specialist is trying to tell, tell us. And At the same time, during that specific meeting, we would... Usually have an acoustician. The acoustic oh, it's such a hard word.
0: I know. I'm so glad you're saying it, Joe, not me. <laughs> such a hard
1: word. The acoustic consultant. Acoustic,
0: acoustic specialist.
1: Yes. Available and sitting there within the meeting, you know. So whereby we have the specialist turning around and saying, "This is complex. This and this." We'll have somebody else, another consultant that's in the core team. You know that will be digesting the information but they said at the same time trying to make it work yeah to always make the design intent work so you know we won't just be taking what the specialist puts in front of us because we might be talking to three specialists we don't know who, which one's going to go and get the job yet
0: you yeah
1: know? so we yeah fair enough they'll be putting their best foot forward. But at the same time, we need to really have an understanding of, you know, what that really means and what is, how does that affect the front of house? How does that affect the outlook, the presentation, the feel? Does that digress from what the client really wants?
0: Agreed. And, and what you referenced there is lots and lots of um, quality standards, guidance, best practice, as well as regulations. So there's so much to think about. And I love what you said there, that you basically have someone almost sense checking. So right. yeah, you've put forward your shiny A++ kind of quote, which is all singing or dancing. And you've got someone there who knows enough to ask the right kind of questions and always say, is there another way? Is, I understand what you're trying to do with that. Is there another way of doing that? Um, and I know, I, I, I laugh, I've laugh. i been laughing to myself as you've been talking because I was thinking back to a project that I did on uh, Millbank in central London, uh, a, a cinema system and a cinema room, sorry. And we got a quote from uh, an AV specialist purely just to do the speakers and the cinema system, not even to do any of the acoustic panelling or the insulation or the wall buildup. And I think it was i think it was in the region of about 350,000 pounds and we really went back and went i know we're in central london i know it is a home cinema but I, we we really think you might have overestimated quite how deep our pockets are and actually they themselves went yeah we've we've given you the absolute best we we we've, we've got gone in at the highest level we can and even that having those honest conversations you can bring it down but it really helps if you've got someone around the table who can challenge it. Um, so yeah, it's great. Oh my God, you, it sounds like you've got everyone. Now, um, yeah. I, I'm interested in the selection of specialist consultants. So I, as a client, I'm genuinely interested in the people who are going to be part of the entire consultancy team, not just the architect who I'm having the kind of daily one-to-ones with, Um Because I want people who have the same positive attitude. I want people who get my project. Um, But can you give me any recommendations as to where I start? Um, If I I want to be, as a client, if I want to be involved in building that team?
1: Um, I guess, like anything, it's like a journey. You have certain consultants that you've worked with and you've grown with over the years. And you kind of put them in contention every single time when you are putting down a professional team. So one of the things you would do was to check their availability to see if they've got enough allowance in their program to be able to come on board because all of a sudden there's trust and loyalty and there's just a good business rapport that you've had with them over the years. You know that when the client's getting the bill for the consulting team, it's not gonna be something that'll be overwhelming you know, yeah. because that, that, there's that understanding, you know, so that's the, the first point.
0: And I'm interested, Joe, in, I, I completely understand getting a recommendation and based on someone that you've worked with previously, but I'm very keen to make sure that the people around the table in terms of my professional team, don't all look and sound the same. I kind of feel like in the industry, there's, there's lots of the same faces. So how can I help find companies that might be, for example, um, SMEs, so really small companies, female-led, um, you know, BAME-led, people who are, might, might bring a slightly different set of knowledge, energy, outlook. So I've genuinely got a diverse team. How do I go about building something like that?
1: I think the only way you can do that is meeting people in person, yeah. Uh, attending networking events and things like that. Because when you look at a business, you look at a brand, you see a different face than you don't always, you can't always articulate the faces that will be working behind the brand as much. You might have an idea, but that it's only you when know, you, you walk through those, the studio door and then you see the team that you'd be working with, you know, but for me, the but the, for, for anything, it's, skill set drives decision making you know so if they've got the right skill set and they can do the job and the fees are affordable then i you know it's for me it's very much of a no-brainer and at the same time mainly collaboration like i'm always intrigued to find out what type of software they use is it something that they can you know collaborate seamlessly with what we use you know, and how can we manage and coordinate that? So we, we use the whole list of softwares in order to do some of our operations, and it's just a lot easier working with people that are working with similar softwares.
0: I mean, there are so many things to consider when you're working with a new, a new organization, isn't there? And yeah. actually just a, a superficial title or a superficial group that someone is part of Still, you've got to, you've got to gel with them on a personality level. You've got to be able to technically work with them, as you said, their respective software I personally am always very keen at, um, I love supporting new businesses. That is, that's a personal uh, agenda of mine, but I would still be looking to my architect to do due diligence and check that just because they might only have a small portfolio still doesn't mean to say they haven't got the skill set to do the job. Um, But what I would say is there are some amazing associations. Um, I've I've just written down Sparta because apparently swimming pools is the only thing I've been thinking about on this uh, podcast. Uh, And that is uh, the Swimming Pool and Allied Trades Association. And I do quite like the idea of going to those trade associations and saying, who are your kind of rising stars? You know, who are the people that you've got as the, the future leaders of the industry? Can I get contact details of them? That, I like that because I feel that gives me an opportunity to be speaking to people that I potentially could have a relationship with. If I'm gonna be doing projects over my lifetime, I could have a relationship with them for the next, you know, kind of 30, 40 years. Um, so that's that's also something to think about, but I know with you sitting as an architect, the first, first thing that you're thinking is, have I worked with them? Do I trust them? Are they reliable? Uh, are, they, are they gonna get the value system that we have? And those things probably are the most important.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I think another way of going about it is because we're very interested in the specification of certain products, you know? So when we're tendering, or we're tendering over like various contractors and they put their tender information we put our tender information together and, and, you know, work you know, diligently with the, the, the various contractors. They put forward various different manufacturers, specialists, you know, products all at the same time. And it's at that moment when we're doing our comparison check of what we put forward and what they put forward, we get to see what is out there as well. So- Oh, that's
0: interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So it's during that t- moment because we might have a product that we've been using for a while that, you know, we are happy with and, you know, we feel as if it's working really well. And then all of a sudden, you know, we have another contractor that might present something that we've never seen before. But because we have to do our due diligence on it, we look into it. And then when we realize that this product's quite good, it's almost like for like and it's got cost effective implications, you know, noted we might have to put this down in our personal company register and then utilize this as a product moving forward. You know, so that's another way that we go about it as well. You know, just going through the NBS specifications and seeing what other specialists or what other contractors bring forward. And then once we're doing our little checks on it, then making it to a decision based on that.
0: That's absolutely fantastic. And I I myself, I've I've found Really innovative products, which sometimes some of the products that we were really quite dull and run of the mill, if I may, some screeds, for example, they're not the sexiest products to get clients excited about, but there actually are significant innovations in these areas, which have much lower uh, carbon impact, are uh, physically lighter in weight, um, have a larger surface area before you need movement joints. All of these things matter. They're not, they're not sexy. No one's gonna walk into a house and go like, oh, we've got some really good screed in here. Yeah. Um, but actually, the only way that you find that is, as you say, by going out to the market, having those conversations and the organizations that are constantly innovating and saying there must be a better way. There's always a better yeah. way. There's,
1: there's, yeah. another, there's another way to go about it as well in regards to um, value engineering. You know, so once we go through the various stages, stage three, four, five we go through a process of value engineering in stage three and four, you know, and at that moment, you know, we might be putting forward a certain product, you know, or we might bring in the contractor early on board to have a necessary conversation and then we put a solution or a design intent forward and then say, for example, the quantity surveyor might come back and say, you know what, we're value engineering this or that, have you considered this, you know, which is... A- cost effective we will you know do our due diligence into that particular product and how it coordinates with the rest of the various aspects and then you know present something new you know so that is also you know a way that we go around you know uh, trying to get the um, most affordable but something that doesn't really compromise the design in turn
0: and that's brilliant An episode with Millie Lucas who is our a quantity surveyor who, like you just said, and and thank you so much. That's another excellent podcast to listen to, where she talks about the process of value engineering and how that can be, how and when it's applied, how it can work in your favour, uh, and 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 the pitfalls of it. Because you know, the if we if we're reducing. Um, sometimes it can reduce quality or sometimes you just do it in a a different way. So that's a really good point.
1: Yeah. And it's also knowing how to, you know, almost defend and challenge certain aspects because obviously there's this battle between cost, cost and value, you know, it's cost, value and there's design as well, you know, and all of these things, you know, are almost pulling at each other. You know, so when you're looking into it, if the design goes down, will the client be able to sell those units for that type of price to that type of clientele? You know, so in a way, it's almost a bit of a balancing act, just making sure that you're giving the right type of advice, knowing what the client's expectation is and what the use is. Sometimes if the design, you know, falls, then it affects the future, you know, durability of that concept that the client you know initially envisaged you know and that will have a knock-on effect on the type of financial rewards they can gain from that business you know so sometimes the finish is important and it's ways of you know prioritizing different aspects of the design you know like say for example front of house I'm bringing all the glitter and all the beautiful stuff at the front of house and the things the back of house making you know reserving more cost effective measures so these type of decisions can be discussed with the client in order to maximize their yield you know so that that's just yeah
0: super- and I and I know there what you're talking about the language because you're you you know I know that you deal with a lot of commercial clients um who are having thought set of the the bit where the customer interacts with so it's got to be the highest value highest spec reflective yep. of the brand versus back of house but even in even in a residential home where someone is doing a renovation or extension there's still elements of the the bit that everyone is seeing and using and then there's slightly more functional spaces your utility your pantry any stores garages it's the same thing that's there's almost front and back of house in your own home isn't there the same the same principle applies no but that's fantastic i've got i've just got one more question and i'm thinking here about our listeners who they've had experience of doing extensions or refurbishments previously this isn't their first rodeo and i'm going to say that their experience wasn't perfect so the way that you've how you work with your clients and how the professional team works they they didn't have that their expectations weren't met what advice would you give to them going forwards if they're going to embark on a new project
1: um enlisting everything that didn't work putting that into a risk register you know managing those risks in future events in order to progress you know in the best way they can you know so I', I, I, I like Every project is a learning curve. It will always throw, you know, various different scenarios and it's usually how you deal with it and you know, if that can be recorded, registered, left in a box somewhere, and then those questions ask with similar future scenarios, then it'll always put you in good stead.
0: Brilliant. That's I mean, it it makes complete sense. It's so logical and have that conversation with your lead designer. I had this experience before. How, how can I be sure it's not going to happen again? Or, and it's so sad. I'm afraid to say, Joe, and I hope that you haven't experienced this as much as I have. I've gone into people's properties, finished properties, and they've just said, it's just not what I thought it would be. The the design ran away with them and they they didn't feel like anyone had got their vision and it had gone away. And That's not what people want. That's not what anyone in the industry wants. It's their home, they live in it. We want it to be their vision.
1: Yes, definitely. One of the things we like to put together is, you know, a summary of cartoon sketches, you know, and these sketches will give, maybe there's 50 images of various external and internal, you know, visuals. And, you know, we will ask the client, can you please pick 15 of this? It gives them an idea it gives us an idea of their style their taste you know that you know it's it just gives you a gist of where they're going with this because what we really don't like to do we don't like to put our own architectural stamp onto things you know we really like to get an understanding of what the client you know is trying to get to you know like they've clearly seen something what is their style you know where do they want to take this and it's really imp- important to to understand that you know so I,
0: I couldn't agree with you more joe absolutely ultimately at the end of the day it's their property not ours they have to live in it not us definitely um, we leave our we kind of leave our ego at the door do yeah, you know you what to. i mean? do the best yeah. And and what i love and i think it comes full circle to the very first question you <laughs> answered if if you're the kind of consultant, as you are, Joseph, who listens, that's, that's, what, that's what the client should have, someone who just listens to them. Um, I absolutely love that. Well, listen, I, I want to know more about your practice. How can we find out more about you, Joe, and, uh, and AGA Associates?
1: So um, you can find us on our website, which is AGA-associates.com and you can also find it us on our socials um aga underscore associates underscore that's for instagram you know so um or you can just pop in you know we're more than happy to sit and listen and you know try to get an understanding of what the client brief is and how we would go about articulating it into an architectural brief you know and most of the time because we're human beings we want to see things as visuals cgis these type of things it kind of relaxes the client and gets them into the process from the concept so it allows them to see what they're trying to do so there's no surprises you know and then once we've got a sign off of these type of things it really helps the project to run smoothly because then they can see what they're targeting, what they're aiming for, and then when it comes to the technical aspect, we can run through it with them to make sure that that meets their expectation. So,
0: I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, thank you so much, Joseph from AGA Associates, my new favorite architect. Don't tell the others.
1: <laughs> no, it's okay. The more-
0: for more on today's show any links we've mentioned or to find other episodes go to our website eddpodcast.com follow us on instagram and twitter at eddpodcast. podcast and please subscribe and rate this podcast as it helps other homeowners learn how to design their happiness thank you for listening i've been abigail hall and this has been everyday design Pants Productions Podcast.